Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm chatting with Arita Kakera, Chief Data Officer for Deloitte's Government and Public Service Practice, where she leads the data strategy to foster value creation for the organization's data while facilitating trust. Prior to joining Deloitte, Adita spent nearly 20 years with the state of Arkansas. She began her career as a database administrator and was appointed the Deputy Chief Data Officer in 2017. Adita also serves as a thought leader and fellow at Deloitte's AI Government Institute. In today's episode, Adita shares her journey transitioning from government to industry, the operating model for internal CDO role, and the need for data literacy. In addition, she talks about why female representation in government is essential and how she is making an impact in this space. Arita is a thoughtful and inspirational leader, and I know you will have much to learn from this conversation. Arita, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. So happy to be chatting with you today. How's your day been? Sadie, it's so good to be on the show with you. I know we've talked about this for a long time. I'm so excited to be on here and uh, kick off the conversation. Yes, we have a lot to cover. So I want to make sure, you know, as these are short episodes, state of bites, I want to make sure we have time to cover everything. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. You have had an amazing career in public service and now have transitioned into industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey and specifically the transition from government to industry? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So um, I spent, what, about 21 years in government service and uh, started off as a database analyst and uh, pretty much did anything and everything in the data and analytics space and, uh, you know, don't know where the two decades flew by, but in 2017, I guess, uh, the General Assembly for Arkansas created the role of the Chief Data Officer. And uh, that's when I got the privilege to establish the first office of the CDO for Arkansas. Um, that was that was really a game-changing time, uh, not, just, not just for me, but I think in 2017, the role of the CDO was still evolving in government. So there was a lot of uncertainty, um, not just in not just in one part of government, but across government on like, what does the role entail? What are the goals? Like, what should the CDOs be focused on? So, so it was challenging. Those early years were challenging in figuring out, you know, how to harness the value of data and how to bring together the entire state data landscape um, in one in one common strategy. So those and those were a couple of exciting years there, Sadie. I had the chance to establish our um, data inventory program for the state of Arkansas, started off with creating our governance ops model, um, establishing agency data officers. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic hit us in 2020, which, uh, you know, none of us were prepared for. Right. Um, and kind of started to highlight some of our more blaring problems with data sharing and gaps in our data infrastructure across the country. Um, I had the opportunity at that time to serve on Governor Hutchinson's COVID-19 Technical Advisory Board, um, which which was which was amazing because you know I, I felt like I would I was really able to give back to the community and be of service, leveraging data and technology to actually help solve 
some of our leading problems in the state. Um, and just about in 2021, I had the phenomenal opportunity to uh, consider moving to industry. And I guess the biggest motivation at that point, Sadie, for me was the opportunity to broaden my impact, take uh, my lessons learned, my experiences over the last two decades uh, in, in the state, and have the opportunity to take that outside to other branches of government, uh, take it to federal government, take it to state, local and higher institutions, and uh, leverage my experiences to help other CDOs uh, accelerate their journeys of setting up CDO and data offices um, and help them understand uh, the biggest problems that the government was fa is facing in data and both AI. So that's how my transition happened. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed my journey previously and I'm fortunate to be continuing to be able to serve the citizens and public sector indirectly now in my industry facing role. Uh, but it's been a fantastic journey. <laughs> And it sounds amazing. And one of the things I want to double click a little bit more into is an experience I think a lot of chief data officers can relate to, which is setting up the first office, right? So for a lot of chief data officers, we know that they are evangelists and trailblazers and change makers. And having gone through that experience yourself of not only just setting up the first office, but like Growing with the industry as a whole, how have you seen the industry as the CDO office mature within your experience and the different roles you play to date? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Sadie. So, uh, you know, again, like in 2017, when I first started my journey in this space, if, if I kind of go back memory lane, I don't believe there were as many states that had uh, the concept of a central data office or had even created the role of the CDO. So at, at that time, it was a very, very new role. And so what we did, you know, a, a few of us in the state government space uh, created, a, created a group, an informal group, uh, which, which eventually matured to be called the state CDO network. But at that time, it was just an informal group of uh, CDOs or de facto data leaders who came together and said, well, how do we solve this challenge? How, what do we want the CDO role to become? And we started getting our voices together to create more structure around that role. That's, that's when I also started to reach out uh, to my counterparts in the federal government space and said, okay, how are you doing this in the federal space? Um, at that time, uh, about 2019, 20-ish, is when the Evidence Act was coming out, providing a little bit more clarity on the role of the CDO in the federal space. So definitely over the years, you know, we've seen the role maturing. Um, the challenges, the challenges are still there in the government space, but but aren't they there in every industry? But definitely a lot of maturity coming through in that role, Sadie. We're also seeing the rise of the chief AI officers, chief data and analytics officers. So a couple of different flavors, but. Uh, the problem, challenges, and the opportunities continue to grow. Yeah, it's exciting to be in this industry. I always tell people you have to have a growth mindset if you want to work in the data industry because you know the challenges are always there, but the opportunities are endless as well. So I um, appreciate you sharing kind of some of the new things that are emerging in the CDO office. 
Today, you have multiple roles. So you are the first CDO for Deloitte's government practice. You are also an advisor to government CDOs on data and AI applications for citizen services. And then in addition to all that, you're also a fellow with the Deloitte AI Institute. So definitely a busy person. Um, but can you elaborate a little bit more on, you know, these roles, how they all work together? And then more importantly, like, why did you feel it was essential to establish the first internal CDO office for Deloitte? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there are different um, roles, but in, in my mind, in in my vision, Sadie, they're all sort of connected. The the responsibilities are connected, and they sort of complement each other. They're not exclusive to each other. Um, so look, when I started over with Deloitte, I was advising government clients on how to leverage data and AI and solve one of their, some of their hardest problems, right? Um, at, at that time, as I was doing that organically, being a CDO, I was also thinking about, hey, what, what are our internal data capabilities? You know, Deloitte has the best talent, best infrastructure, technology. And I'm thinking, well, how, how do we start to continue to have an increased focus on leveraging that capacity to build data and AI capabilities and help our clients uh, also leverage the same capacity to solve their problems. You know, as, as we are creating those cutting edge solutions for ourselves, how do we shape those so that I can take that back to the market and help our government executives and CDOs and data leaders also leverage those capabilities and um, turn those into client offerings. So that was that was part of the motivation, Sadie. But you know, at the crux of it all, you know, my my passion is to help solve the data problems in the government space and to help our data leaders become more uh, uh, data driven and aligned to their mission goals. Right. So I saw a huge opportunity here, which is what I tapped on and said, you know, we're gonna create formally an office of the CDO and share what we are creating internally and take that back to our clients. Um, so that in a way complements the executive advice I do for government CDOs externally, and, and which is why I said I feel like they complement each other. Um, now, as far as my role with the AI Institute for Government, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but Deloitte has a global AI Institute um, and the AI Institute for Government is specifically focused only on the needs of AI and government. So basically it was established to help advance the application of AI and, um, and help government agencies scale the application of AI, specifically in the public sector, right? Um, I, I almost like to think of it as a, as a, as a hub. Um, it is focused on all things related to the adoption and use of AI technology in government. Um, we help, we help government clients think through uh, the ethical considerations of applying AI, help them prototype, create solutions. And it, a lot of it is also focused on research, which is another angle that I'm really passionate about to understand how do we take the experience that we have with our subject matter experts and turn that into assets and accelerators back to the government. Incredible. So I love the intersect of all of these. Not only are you getting, you know, hands-on experience leading a CDO office internally and then getting to share that knowledge with 
government and public service, um, but then also being a part of research to find out what are what are those cutting edge industry best practices in regards to AI that we need to be looking at. I'm sure after this point and all of this experience, you've been able to have a really develop a really solid operating model for a CDO office. Can you talk a little bit more about the operating model you use and what some of those best practices are as operating a CDO office? Yeah. Hey, so um, look, Sadie, my, my model is um, keeping it simple and simplicity is effective. <laughs> So our, our ops model is pretty straightforward, simple, and effective in a nutshell. Um, Deloitte has multiple business areas. Um, I serve as the chief data officer for Deloitte's government practice, but uh, with, with a multitude of other business areas that we have in the firm, each, each of our area has its own data office. Um, and we bring together our chief data officers across business areas or, or de facto leaders across business areas to come together for a US data strategy, which we have collectively created. And uh, that, is, that is primarily focused on driving enterprise data coordination across business areas, right? I mean, we're focused on how do we, how do we build and scale data capabilities and make it interoperable through different across different business areas. And, and the end goal is, you know, how do we derive insights from our data so that we can use that not only for our internal data aspirations, but also turn that into uh, fulfilling client data and AI aspirations, right? So like I said, operating model is pretty simple. The business area CDOs come together in an overall US CDO council. We've created an overall US data strategy and, and for me in government, you know, we have our own specific data strategy that is aligned to the broader goals of the U.S. firm strategy. Um, and that provides for an effective overall at a very high level ops model, um, keeping it really simple, but uh, still having enough connected lines to uh, be able to share the capabilities that we are developing enterprise wide. Yes, I'm a big fan of Keep It Simple. I do really detailed um, time tracking on my day and where I spend all my time. And after like seven years of data, I realized I can only accomplish one major task a day. Like as many things are on my to-do list, there's only one thing I can accomplish. And so I think that's such great advice to keep it simple because, you know, all those little steps and actions we take do add up over time for large, impactful change, but on a day-to-day -day basis, um, simple is always best. So great advice there. In terms of the CDO office, one of the things we're hearing a lot of talk about is data literacy. And I think, you know, just as the industry is maturing as a whole, what we're seeing is the CDO office is not something that just your data teams need to have this knowledge and awareness, but the whole business really needs to have a level of data literacy so we can take action and make decisions for our business that are really going to be impactful, whether that be in operations or marketing or finance or whatever that may be. So I'm curious to know how you define data literacy and what role you feel this plays within government specifically. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're bringing up a topic that's really passionate uh, for me, Sadie. I, I completely agree with what you said, you know, 
I think in today's world, uh, data literacy and data and analytics is no longer just for like data specialists or data engineers or data scientists, right? I mean, data literacy has now in today's world really become a core workforce competency. Uh, I mean, data is front and center in our across industries, actually. And I think government is no different, right? Um, so today the need is it's not just for our data scientists or for some very technical roles to be data literate. The need is that we become more fluent in using data across all levels of the workforce. And that includes C-suite and leaders, uh, as well as all other tiers of the organization. I think we all need to have a specific focus uh, and a more deliberate direction from the leadership to say, how are we gonna help our workforce become more intelligent and have the capability to be able to read and work with data. Uh, now, you asked me earlier how I would define data literacy. There are so many different uh, definitions and versions, Sadie, that are floating in the industry. I think uh, last, late last year, uh, we made a deliberate effort to kind of really uh, think through what literacy means to us. And it came down to the ability to read and work with data, but also about analyzing and being able to use data ethically so that we are solving not only our day-to-day -day business problems, but we are also able to use data to drive innovation and create value collaboratively, right? It's, it's not just the mindset of being able to look at a screen or look at a dashboard and be able to interpret it. It's so much more. It's it's not just it's not just about reading and writing the data. It's almost a in my mind, it's a mindset. It's a culture shift. And kind of tying it back to, you know, what other CDOs are doing about it and what I'm seeing in the industry and the government specifically, you know. Uh, in Deloitte ourselves, you know, we have taken an active effort, uh, a very intentional effort to create uh, programs to improving uh, our workforce to becoming more data literate. Uh, and I'm seeing that same push and a more intentional effort by the CDOs in the government space in wanting to do so. Um, in fact, Sadie, um, one of the CDOs that I was recently talking to, you know, as we were defining their data strategy, has data literacy and culture as a key pillar in their data strategy. And, I, and I'm starting to see that more and more, and it's, and it's remarkable, I love it, that the CDOs and the senior executive leadership of the organizations are now acknowledging that need. And not just acknowledging, but, but they're taking a more intentional effort to fit literacy and cultivating that culture in their strategy and actually taking actionable steps around it to improve that. So, I mean, look, government has collected data forever, right? I mean, as far as I think back, think about, income tax data or social security data, motor vehicle data, right? And, and I can't imagine any other time where data literacy has not been at its highest level of need as it is today. So if, if CDOs or other, other leaders are not thinking about improving literacy, then that, that is something that I would want them to think and encourage adoption of if they're listening today. <laughs> Yeah, very well said. I really love the fact that in 
your definition of data literacy, you don't just have the read and work with data, which, you know, is kind of a common definition, but really that use of using it ethically. And I think one that's important for all of us to keep in mind as we work with data. But um, I think also in regards to government and public service, you know, there's so much information that they have available on their citizens and can have a major impact to know that you have that trust um, from your citizens in terms of how you're using the data is really going to be essential. So I love that that is added in there. And um, I think it's something that we should all look to make sure we're adding when we think of data literacy moving forward. So getting a little bit more tactically on data literacy, um, you've pioneered data literacy in government um, in many different areas. Do you have any suggestions for organizations as they're adding this into their strategy um, to enable a data literate organization and culture? How do you tactically really start to make that change and, and see the impact you want to have? Great question, Sadie. And in, and in fact, that's that's one question that I often get as I'm talking to um, CDOs and data leaders in government is like, hey, where do I get started? And, and my answer typically is like, you asking that question is already a start. So let's not think about, you know, boiling the ocean. Let's not start to make everything perfect. But what is important is to get started. And I typically say you need to get started by starting to think about what are you wanting to achieve with your literacy program? You know, I, I think having a having a thoughtful approach on defining the competencies and the personas that you are wanting to create in your literacy program is key. Um, rather rather than just you know going forward and saying hey this this is one program that we're pushing out and hoping that it's going to address the needs of the entire workforce i think it's important to think through like who is your target audience what what is a specific competency that audience would need and and kind of divide that into personas and create your program training programs around it the other thing that i think is absolutely needed to be successful as you roll out these data literacy programs city is having that sponsorship having that sponsorship from your agency leadership from your executives from your senior leaders on on defining what success looks like for your data literacy program and also knowing that they are there to back you up because again literacy is not just meant for a, a certain uh, level of the organization literacy is meant for all levels of the workforce including c-suite and leaders so leading by example and having the adequate sponsorship from your agency heads and from your executives is key. The, the other thing I might also, also point out is often when we talk about literacy, we forget that a key part of being able to leverage and use data in an organization depends upon data accessibility and understanding how your data governance ties in with that accessibility, right? Uh, even if you have a, a data literate organization uh, workforce, if they do not have access to that data and if they do not know how to uh, how to reach your data catalog or, or your tools that are available in the organization, you you're not really enabling your workforce to be able to leverage those data systems. Right. So I think so I think watching out for some of those key areas will help to kick off a successful program. And of course, always incentivizing always helps, right? As uh, maybe maybe include a credentialing program, 
um, or, or figure out other ways to incentivize the use of data um, in applications or, or grants or policy guidance. You know, incentivizing that use of data for your workforce definitely has also shown some uh, very clear successes for data literacy programs. But let me pause there. No, those are great key points in terms of, you know, incentives always help, right? We all need a little motivation, making sure that the right access is there. But I really love that advice of just get started, right? I think all of us can take that advice for anything we're trying to do in our lives. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is just get started and make it happen. And one of the things you're recently starting is a U.S. federal government chapter for women in data. So in addition to your multiple roles at Deloitte, um, we're excited to have you starting this chapter. Um, so I'm curious a little bit more about when, what made you decide to start this chapter? And, you know, as you say, keeping it really simple, like what are some of the things you hope to accomplish with this industry chapter? Oh, yes, I am so excited. I'm so glad you brought this. I'm super excited that we are getting the opportunity to actually create a women in data federal government chapter. So look, Sadie, as far as like, you know, getting started and why I'm doing this, you know, I've spent a few decades in government and I've seen firsthand um, the experiences of myself as well as other women of so often being that one woman in either meetings or conference rooms or board meetings where, you know, I was not only just that one woman, but also that one woman of color. And, and, and I want to do something to change that equation. I, I want our, I, I want our upcoming generations to know that there is a community of like-minded people available where they can go and uh, continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to lean on each other, uh, continue to share knowledge, continue to get mentorship. Um, and, I, and I saw a gap there and I thought here is an opportunity to go in and do something to bring that community of like-minded people together. Um, and, and I say that knowing that women today in federal government are already leading critical mission areas. Uh, there are there are some amazing women who are leading the charge and making things happening in the data and AI space in the federal government and bringing about that mission, uh, uh, bring about that mission change that they are uh, that they are positioned for. However, there is still the option to do more, <laughs> and 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 I think the time couldn't be more perfect. We we are no longer in that stage where having a diverse workforce is a choice. I think we're living in the age where you know that diverse workforce, especially when it comes to creation of AI applications and deployment, you know, you need that diverse workforce uh, to avoid all the bias and, the, uh, and continue to make our AI applications ethical and trustworthy. I think that need is there today. So I saw an opportunity, Sadie, and and that's what motivated me to go ahead and say, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and create that community and build a chapter that is going to be that safe space and community for our female and women practitioners in the federal government space. 
Well, I just want to say a big thank you. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more that diversity is not a nice to have, but it's a need to have. And yes, there are amazing women leaders in the space today. But as we know, you know, retention is something a lot of industries are struggling with, and particularly for women as well in leadership positions. Um, being able to give them the support and the network and the the information that they need to be able to not only survive, but to thrive in the a career in leadership and within data careers is essential. So, you know, one of the things we love to ask all of our guests on the show is you know, being a woman yourself, what do you feel we as other women and as allies can do to better support the development and retention of female leadership and for you, if you have a government lens on that, would love to know that as well. Yeah, great question. So, I mean, I, I think some of some of the straightforward things that we can do, Sadie, right? I mean, we, we all know we need to be intentional about creating and promoting a culture where, where women are able to continue to grow their skills and continue to have the options and the career and the career pathways that they need to continue to grow and become those leaders right we can we all we all have that common responsibility but i think i think there is also something more we can do as uh, those who are already leaders i think we have the option to continue to step forward and continue to sponsor other women uh, women in data and ai and and that does not need to always happen, you know, uh, right in front of the practitioners. I mean, sponsorship can happen behind them. It's all about it's all about stepping up and saying, hey, give somebody give somebody a chance. Make sure make sure that as you are creating your teams, you are making an effort to ensure that it is a, a diverse group of people that you're bringing together. Um, you know, I cannot stress enough the value of sponsorship. And I say that because I know for myself, I know that there are sponsors that have spoken for me and helped me move up in my career. And, and I think if we as women leaders can continue to do that for others, continue to sponsor and mentor and, and coach other females, we collectively can also make that change. Um, Together with, of course, giving them the right opportunities to grow, learn, and um, continue to grow their skills. Yes, it really does take all of us coming together. And, you know, I know myself have had amazing sponsors and mentors and allies. And the, the least we can do is then take that and pay it forward to that next generation and how I like to think of it is it's exponential, right? As one person does it for us and we do it for someone else, that then is an exponential number where we actually then can see the change that we want to see in this area. So what I just wanna say a big thank you for being a female leader in this space and doing amazing work within public service and within industry, and now within women in data and leading the charge forward to support others through sponsorship and mentorship and allyship. So thank you so much for all your work and your effort. We are lucky to have a leader like you. Well, Sadie, likewise, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, um, the impact that you're driving in this space and uh, 
grateful for all the work you do every day. So we always like to wrap up our interviews with a little bit of fun and some rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, we can jump into the rapid fire questions. Oh, rapid fire. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. What song, podcast, or book can you not stop listening to or reading right now? Um, so, um, in all honesty, right now, my playlist is a mix of some uh, Bollywood songs as well as some pop. But one that is um, top on the list is This Girl is on Fire, Alicia, King, Alicia Keys. I love it. That's a big motivational song for me, too. Perfect before a uh, big day of work. <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled? <laughs> oh, gosh, I have so many favorites. But um, Costa Rica is uh, probably one of the top on the list. Happiness is... A choice. In uh, the happiness is also family to me. In the next five years, I hope to. In the next five years, I hope to have made an impact to continue to build our next generation of women in data as well as women leaders in data and AI. I'll second that. <laughs> and the last question to me, curiosity is? Curiosity is um, imagination. It is um, intelligence. And I think curiosity is creativity. Beautiful. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Again, I just want to say a big thank you for coming on the show. I'm so excited to see you achieve your goals in the next five years and, and happy to be working alongside you. So thank you again. Sadie, thank you so much for having me um, on the show. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And for all our listeners, we want to say a big thank you. Remember to stay curious and keep learning, and we will catch you next time. Have a great day, everybody. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other